Welcome to Megaminds, the podcast that unlocks the secrets needed to scale your business from seven figures per year to seven figures per month and beyond. On the show, we pick the brains of leading business owners, marketing geniuses, growth experts, and serial entrepreneurs, tapping into their minds to uncover the true formula for e-commerce success. The podcast is created by Megaphone, Australia's award-winning experts in digital marketing. Now enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe. I'm really excited today to introduce Mark Abrams from Earth Wilder. Earth Wilder sells quirky jewelry with character, all kinds of collectibles. And I've got to know Mark about five years ago. And he's really talented as an entrepreneur, even though he doesn't like to call himself that. Uh, something that he's done really, really well when it comes to Earth Wilder is build this raving community. And there's so many little things that he does, whether it's gifts with purchases or different types of content or Spotify playlists or all kinds of crazy things. And we unpack a lot of that today, as well as a lot of different ideas that I've never really thought about in terms of building community. And that community allows you to build a real brand, something that people will want to keep buying from you and really feel like they're more than just buying a product, but they're buying into a lifestyle. We also definitely unpack a lot more, whether it's rewards for engaging your customers, wholesale, and should you go into wholesale, how to go into wholesale. A lot to unpack, but let's jump into the conversation with Mark. I've seen Eswata explode, grow to this massive business, an incredible community, uh, a really interesting story behind it. So really excited to introduce Mark today. And thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks, thanks for having me, Max. Good to be here. I uh, <laughs> I appreciate the, the the warm introduction. I'll I'll just I'll just flag from the outset. We have we've had many conversations in the past, right? I I step back from just defining myself as an entrepreneur because there's amazing people like yourself doing amazing things with, uh, you know, their fingers in many pies uh, at the same time. I'm just a simple business owner, so I <laughs> I'll just put that right out there at the start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still disagree, but I think one day you'll you'll, you'll see yourself as an entrepreneur. But until that day. Yeah. But yeah, so lots I wanted to get through. But firstly, I just wanted to hear a little bit about your story. I know it was kind of interesting and in how you guys kind of found Earth Wilder as an opportunity and how do you do get involved uh, in some of the early days? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll, uh, I'll try to give you the condensed version. We uh, look winding back to um, prior to 2010. Um, uh, there, there was a business that sat above Earth Wilder that was just a, a fast fashion wholesaler that was buying and selling jewelry out from across Asia. Um, it was run by my, my my business partner's uncle who started initially. He would have been one of the first people importing that kind of costume jewelry into into Australia. So he established a really, really big following um, of, of stockists, which gave us, uh, as it happened, a, a really great launching pad for a new brand. Um so fast forwarding then to, to 20, 2011, uh, Earthwild was born. One of the girls, Louisa Camille, in, in the office, she was sketching these characters. My business partner had a chat with her and asked what she was doing. And she said she had this idea for these, these beautiful brooches, these character-driven brooches. Um, and without knowing much about it, he, he thought, yeah, let's, let's give this a go. So they, they made a, a few designs. They took them to a trade fair. Our stockists loved them. So we came back to the next trade fair with more and the next trade fair with more. Uh, and it really took off from a wholesale perspective. Um, by 2015, there was about 300 stockists worldwide with, with the product. And at this point uh, is where I sort of cut in. So I, I was, I'd finished uni, done a few marketing roles, um, found a, a digital marketing executive role with Westfield um, Shopping Centers, now Center Group. It took me a very short space of time to realize that that bureaucracy was not my, not my jam um, and I needed to find something else. So uh, about a year later, I, I left that. Uh, 
my darling wife and I got on a plane to Bali. We, we got married there. And then while I was on my honeymoon, I was scanning Instagram. I saw this brand Earthwilder. There was like 20,000 posts with the brand hashtag. So I went to look for the profile and it didn't exist. So I reached out to my mate and I said, uh, are you aware, mate? There's this amazing community around this product and there's no, there's no brand presence. We should talk about that. So I ca- came back home. Uh, started consulting, doing some social media marketing and email marketing. And before long, we saw a real opportunity to, to, to launch a retail arm in the business and serve our community directly. Uh, and my business partner, Adam, said to me, sorry, that's my, my kid, Sonny, in the background there. Uh, he said to me, uh, look, I'm, I'm keen to do this, but I don't have the time. Um, I, I need you to put your money where your mouth is. I need you to buy in uh, and, and build this business with me and take, take charge of the retail arm. So that's where we did. And that's what we did. And we, we didn't look back. So uh, fast forwarding to today, uh, we've now got about 250,000 fans, customers, collectors across our social profiles. Um, the retail business really enabled us to scale um, and, and support that community. And uh, our, our stockist network has, has contracted a little bit in terms of the, the total number of stockers, but our wholesale business has grown uh, on account of us launching into direct retail, which I think is an interesting, um, interesting observation. Uh, that's, that's really how we've developed. Uh, I haven't really told you what we do yet, so um, perhaps that's the next question, but I'll throw it back to you. So one thing that I've been impressed with uh, that really kind of stands out for Earthwater for me is how strong the community is. And like, like you said, there's people posting about it even in the early days. But I think that you in particular have done a really good job to tap into that, whether it's sharing community stories, giving back, um, interesting ways to kind of share more personality about the brand. I'd love to kind of hear how you think about that and how that's kind of helped your brand. Yeah, sure. Well, I think uh, I think you're you're spot on there with something that is a bit uh, a bit unique and a bit special about our label. Which we are heavily community oriented. Um, we we regularly put out polls to ask our community on social what they want to see from us, and that that informs our our design program. We we let them tell us what themes to explore, what designs within those themes to produce, what licensed opportunities to to, to explore. Uh, we even engage them on naming designs or choosing colors from designs from time to time. So we really put the customer at the forefront and try to produce products and ranges that that they're seeking from us. Um, that, of course, that extends to, to new product development as well, which is a, a really exciting phase of the business uh, we entered into about two years ago, and that, that's ramping up. Uh, essentially looking at how we can apply our character art to all sorts of other products that our, our community can adorn themselves with and, and enjoy. So that's 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 a cornerstone of of how we operate. Um, we are we are actively engaged on on social. We we don't shy away from from negativity. We we thrive on that um, on that feedback. Uh, we like every comment we we can. We reply to every comment that that deserves warrants a, a reply. Um, it's I, I think it's absolutely fundamental for businesses these days not to um, not to not to say that they're that they're engaged with the community, but to to demonstrate to to, to demonstrate active listening. Um, and for that to inform how they run their business. So that's, that's a critical part of, of what we do. Cool. And, and so I guess, you know, there's one element of engaging community, helping them do product design, um, licensing, naming, which I think a lot of businesses can take away and, and it's a really powerful thing. But what are kind of some of the other ways, you know, that's one element to get people to feel connected to the brand. But, you know, I guess what are some of the more interesting ways that you guys have tapped into to really create that deeper connection. Is there anything else that kind of comes to mind? 
Uh, so that's a good question. Uh, look, I, I think. So free to ignore it if that's uh, not a good no, question. But, uh, no, no, no. It, it is. I think it, it, it's hard to be be really specific, uh, except to say that we're driven by our mission. So we 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 produce. Um, we produce products. We produce limited run products, which is important too, and we can circle back to that. But what we do is not nearly as important as why we do it, and that's to create joy, to spark joy in the world through our design. And it, it's a very real impact that it has on people's lives. Our product is far more than just accessories to people. Um, and, and this isn't me um, speaking on behalf of them. This is me reiterating uh comments that we receive regularly across email and social from our community. So our designs will enable people to express themselves, just having that, that, that piece of something that you connect with on your, on your outfit, on your clothing, on your work uniform, gives people that, that, that um, moment of self-expression. It starts conversations. People get stopped in the street every day wearing these things and friendships form and groups form. Uh, it's, there's a lot of nostalgia uh, tied to our products, whether it's flowers that remind them of their grandmother's garden or a pet that they used to have when they were young. Uh, there's, there's a lot of nostalgia built into the product, which makes it so, um, so loved. It, it, it's again, not, not just an accessory and our customers aren't, um, they're not just people who like accessories either. They're for the most part collectors. So they organize their products at home. They work out their storage, their display. Uh, it's really something that's integrated into their lives, um, much beyond just buying another necklace. Love that. Yeah. I think having that mission of saying, Hey, we're here to spark joy. It allows you to think more open-minded and like, how can we continue to add joy to our customers as well? And like, is this aligned to our mission? I think that you kind of nailed um, everything in kind of what you said there. Uh, I know another thing that you do in terms of community um, or getting people part of Earthwater family is the rewards club. Do you, do you feel like that's an important part? And do you feel like that's something that most businesses should have, or it's something that um, is specific to what you guys do? Uh, look, I wouldn't say that our rewards offering is is anything that's that's super exciting. I think what we offer is is a um, a fairly standard points system um, that that every business should have. Absolutely, it's going to increase. It's proven to increase stickiness and loyalty uh, and repeat repeat purchase rates. So I think it's a fundamental. We, we've been toying with the idea over many years of how we can expand and build on that with certain VIP tiers and additional value offerings, such as things like pre-ordering, which would be the holy grail for a community like ours. Uh, the challenge we often face is that we come back to our mission and is creating division between our community, um, those who perhaps can afford to buy enough to qualify for a higher tier, um, creating that division. Is that something that sparks joy or does the opposite? Uh, so we look to be totally inclusive and having a, a system of points that affords everyone to get, um, you know, increasing levels of rewards, but not exclusive opportunities seems to be something more in line with our label. Um, one thing I want to ask about wholesaling is I know you guys started as a wholesaler and went into retail. I think a lot of the businesses that I deal with um, typically start in retail and might open to wholesale. Like how have you found, like you kind of touched on it a, a little bit at the start, but how have you found wholesale supplementary to retail? And do you see it kind of as a second marketing channel as well as another revenue source or do you see them as totally different? Love to well, hear your thoughts on yeah. that. Yeah, no, no, well, it's, that's a, it's a really great question too. I think uh, times have changed significantly and uh, a requirement to gain traction has changed significantly too. In the old days, wholesale was your way to establish your brand. 
it was almost fundamental to, to get a footprint out there, to get brand awareness um, broadly in the market. And that certainly worked for us, you know, back in, back in, in, in 20, 2010 or, or even 2000 to, to, to 2010 when the previous brand existed. Um, that again, that set us off uh, with a flying start when we went to launch uh, retail. Uh, these days, the wholesale business has, has diminished in value to, to the business. It, it contributes about 30% of, of total, um, total sales, total revenue. Um, but it's fundamentally important. And these are foundational people in our business. These, these, a lot of these stockers have been with us from the start. So they're very important to us. Again, our, our mission to spark joy and caring about all of our stakeholders, um, that, that doesn't change. So while we have pivoted to being more of a retail-focused retail label, it's a very fine balancing act and wholesale remains um, critically important to us. Uh, I, I guess I'd add for a label like ours, for our community to be able to touch and feel products, is important to some. Um, not everyone likes to buy online. Photos never quite do our product justice. It's quite difficult to photograph resin. So there's definitely a subset of customers who like to who like to shop in store and like that experience. There's also a subset of customers who want to shop local. Um, and yeah, we're a small Melbourne-run business, and and that's great. And a lot of people want to support us. But a lot of people have personal connections with the people who run the small independent stores who stock our brands. And we certainly don't want to be trampling on that. We want to enable that 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 connection from customer to stockist and stockist to us. They're all important. So we try to facilitate that too. Awesome. And so let's say you're a brand doing a million dollars a year. You're looking at doing wholesale. Maybe you've done the odd inquiry here and there. Is there something that a brand like that should consider when trying to evolve into wholesale? Do you need to get a rep? Do you just put up a link on your website? Do you, do you go to an expo? Um, or does it depend on your brand? So, so uh, just circling back to my initial point about how things have changed, I think the reason that you don't see a lot of uh, businesses having a wholesale arm these days is because it's so much easier to be a direct-to-consumer company. You can you can manufacture, you can own the whole production chain, and you can get that product into your customers' hands. You don't need wholesale uh, specifically, especially with the ability to to scale through social media. You you can you can come up with a strategy. It needs to be a good one, and you can help people with that, Max. <laughs> but uh, come up if you come up with a strategy and you put enough money behind it, you can scale a business and reach customers. You, you don't necessarily need a wholesale arm to do that anymore. Uh, if you are interested in developing a wholesale business, uh, look, trade fairs were the way to go back in the day. I don't think they are anymore, especially in a post-COVID world. Uh, I would, I mean, we, we grew our wholesale business by way of launching our retail business. When we started really engaging in, in social um, and having a real focus on our content program, we attracted stockers all over the world. Um, so I, I would say, yeah, you, you'd want to put calls out. You'd want to make it abundantly clear that you're, that you're taking... Uh, that you're open to to stockers, you'd probably want to target where it makes the most sense to have them. For example, if you have some, uh, if you have a, a customer base in Australia and that's strong, maybe you want to focus on on America. And in that case, you may want to find a, an agent. We we do have an agent in the states who uh, who assists us with uh, wholesale across America and Canada, and that's been really beneficial. I think especially when you're talking international, it's important to consider nuances in the ways business operate. And having someone on the ground there who understands that market better is, is certainly uh, certainly a big help. Cool. And just last thing I want to pick on this is that agent that you've got in uh, Canada and US, like how did you find them? How do you know if they're good? Um, and what would you be kind of asking in that auditing process? 
Uh, another good question. Look, it's to be honest, for us, that was a little bit of serendipity. It seems to happen for us uh, quite often that things things sort of fall into place. It was right around the time that that Adam, my business partner, and I were, were talking about how to attack the American market. Uh, we got an email out of the blue from this particular agent, um, and he had a particular niche around vintage inspired um, sort of retro contemporary um, uh, stores and, and those brands. So he he was already in the pockets of exactly who we'd want to start reaching out to. So we didn't really bother um, vetting him for, or vetting other uh, alternatives. We just vetted him. We just got an understanding of his customer base, of his workflow. Uh, of the, the you know the commercial agreement between us and making sure that there's enough margin to share there, and once we we're ready to go, we just we just set a six month plan um, and started with that to see how things would roll out. Great, yeah. I think if you've got a brand that is worth talking about, then things will come your way, you know. And so it kind of it's nice that that's. I think serendipity is also partially because of you've nailed some of the principles of the brand, and you know people speak really highly about you guys and the brand. Um, so one thing I wanted to kind of open up a little bit more on is your mission and some of the storytelling as aspects about it. So, you know, creating moments of joy, I think is a really amazing mission. And it's something where you can use it as a filter to think about the decisions that you're making in the company, but it's kind of hard to find a mission. And I imagine that wasn't like the mission from day one and it probably evolved. And I'd love to kind of hear about your process in understanding that that was your mission, how it has evolved, uh, and then how do you go about talking to that vision to your potential customers and you know and community? Yeah, sure. Well, look, uh, admittedly, we didn't start out with this mission. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we started out with an experimental product. We we had no idea how it would perform. Um, the, the mission came about about from community feedback. Once we started hearing all the ways that our product was bringing joy, this became our mandate. This is what we're all about. And it, and it informed everything from design to marketing to operations. Um, I'll give you a few examples of how we, how we think about that broadly. So from an operational perspective, uh, we, we set the bar very, very high in terms of order fulfillment. Um, a lot of competitors in our niche uh, understandably, they have a smaller setup than we do, but it can take them weeks or months to get out customer orders. They're all made made by hand at the time orders are placed. We obviously have a, a production model set up, but we also take our, our uh, order pick, pack and distribution really, really seriously. So we can uh, we can ship we can pack and ship up to 1,200 retail orders a day out of HQ. Um, we obviously have to be resourced to do that, but we have a very strong focus on our pick and pack operation to make sure that's as smooth as possible. Uh, we want to get product out to people and in their hands as quickly as we physically can. And even in these times, we're seeing that we can launch on a given day and we can have stock in customers' hands in New South Wales or even WA within a day or two. Uh, and I think that's something that customers aren't used to seeing all that often. Now, that extends to the USA as well. Um, from a shipping policy perspective, how do we how do we spark joy there? Well, we send everything with DHL Express. We only charge $9.95 or free if you reach the, the threshold. And we just we just eat the extra cost. We we wear that because we want to get product to customers as quickly as possible. So we'll deliver to the the West Coast of, of the USA uh, within three working days, we'll deliver to the East Coast in five working days. That's pretty darn quick, um, I think, by anyone's standard. So that's that's operationally how we look to do that. Uh, in terms of products, 
we're often producing product that's exclusively a, a gift with purchase. Now, admittedly, uh, gift with purchase campaigns, are, they're, they're cart drivers. So we are incentivizing people to spend more, but they're very, very high value. It's not, it's not a 10% value offering. It's, you know, spend, spend roughly like 150 and you'll receive a product worth 50 bucks and it's exclusive. You can't buy it anywhere else. Um, so we'll produce often thousands of these pieces of gifts of purchase and give them away for nothing. So that's, that's a, an element of spreading joy there. Then we look at our content program. Um, and I think how we handled the, the initial COVID lockdowns was a really good example. Um, we actually looked up the chain and down the chain and we thought the best way through this is together. So we turned to our service providers, we turned to our uh, web developers, our agencies, and we said, look, guys, uh, tough times are coming. We're all in this together. What, what, what incentives, what discounts can you afford us? And anything that we picked up there, we paid it forward. So we turned to our stockists and we said, all right, guys, for the foreseeable future, it's 10 to 15% discounts on new release stock. It's 30% discounts on older stock. Let's halve your minimum order requirements to reduce your risk. Let's give you delayed payment options if you need. We even introduced a, a sales share model. So if, if, our customer, if, if a customer purchased through earthswilder.com who normally shops with the stockist, if they indicated to us the stockist that they regularly shop with, we give that store 10% of the sale value. For retail customers, we split ranges. Um, so we only released half a range at a time to relieve the pressure on their wallets come launch time. We added more gifts with purchases. We created a content program focused around entertainment. So we developed coloring in sheets using our designs. We created Spotify playlists for them to enjoy. We even filmed little art workshops like uh, paper craft and, and drawing tut tutorials using some of our team members at HQ. So it, it really is business-wide. It's a business-wide focus on this mission to spark joy. And, and it's in everyone's job description. And it's up on the wall there underneath our logo at HQ. How are we going to spark joy today? So many good ideas there. And I think, uh, I mean, there's, there's so much to unpack there, but I think how your brand handles challenging things like that and a mission can really filter and drive the thought process behind it builds lifetime loyalty. You know, fast shipping is something where it's like cool, uh, short-term loyalty, you know, nice experience. But then when you're looking out for their favorite retailer um, or your wholesaler, um, and just doing those little things, you're passing on the discounts, you're giving them extra bonuses, you're filming them to do lists, and 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 they're listening to your Spotify playlist. The the connection to not just buying a product, but feeling like they're part of a community is so much deeper. So yeah, it, it's something that you guys do really well, and you know, and I think that you just kind of nailed it with that answer. So yeah, it's it's kind of inspiring, I think, for other brands to take some of those ideas. I really don't think that a lot of brands do that as well as you guys do it. So it's something impressive. Thank you. Well, yeah, I think it just comes down to a, a, a generosity of spirit that, that really does pay dividends when you're, when you're acting authentically and you're doing your best to support everyone. Uh, I think you find that people support each other. Definitely. So I wanted to talk about marketing channels, one of my favorite nerdy topics. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously, I know you kind of do a lot of the main ones, but I'd love to hear, you know, what currently would you say uh, your main driving marketing channels for new customers or for re-engagement? And is there any other channels you're really excited about at the moment? Yeah, sure. So look, I, I, uh, I might not be as polished in my responses here because as of about a year and a half ago, we brought on a, a, a 
uh, a top uh, digital marketing executive in, in Evelyn. Um, she's taken the marketing responsibility off my plate for the most part. And so I've been able to, as a business owner and, and creative director, I've been able to step back a little bit, but I will do my best to, to, to answer this question and, and, and address our marketing strategies as best I can. So, so thinking about our social channels, um, we, we were around on Facebook first, really just building an audience. We, we didn't really know what we were doing in that space until we, we, we engaged you, who really helped us drive that. You can probably talk to the strategies we put in place better than I can. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we built Facebook first, then we launched Instagram and we really did a, a big drive to convert Facebook followers to Instagram followers. Um, uh, we, we play on Pinterest a little bit. We're starting to engage with TikTok. We think there's a lot of opportunity for us there. Um, but Facebook is, is far and away the, the, the dominant uh, social channel for us. Uh, at, at the point we're at now, we, we've got hundreds of thousands of followers. So it's not about vanity metrics. We don't care at all about any more people following us. Um, I think you originally uh, uh, drove the point home that the fight is in people's news feeds. That's, that's where you need to capture people's attention. So it, all of our marketing now is targeted towards um, uh, for the most part, new customer acquisition. We're trying to come up with different content angles to introduce the brand, to attract people to the website. Uh, and what happens from there is that we have a very, very high conversion rate on, on new customers entering our site. Part of that is a very generous opening offer, a 20% discount on your first order. Um, and, and, and part of that is just the, the, the things happening behind the scenes, the, the automation around follow-up uh, uh, paid social campaigns, follow-up uh, email marketing workflows, those sorts of things help us convert new customers at a, at a pretty fast rate. So bringing back to social, sorry, just, just bringing it back to social, again, I think uh, our content is largely static at this point. I think there's a major gap around video content that we're going to start exploring. Um, I think that'll help us really drive home the brand character, personality, the playful nature of what we're all about. Um, far better than the static content currently does. So there, there's an opportunity to exploit. Um, but we, we, have, we have tremendous results on social. Um, uh, you know, on a, on a given launch day, we could have, we could see something like a, you know, a 12, 12 to 15 times ROI um, on, on ads that are out in the market. Uh, you smooth it out over a month and it comes down to something like, uh, like five to seven times. But even our top of the funnel ad campaigns run at a profit. Um, which is, which is to me, mind blowing. You, maybe you can give us some insight if that's more a common occurrence than I think. But uh, in general, we're, we're working at something like a two times return on, on top of the funnel campaign. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you're doing very, very well. I think the goal, I mean, the magic in any marketing uh, kind of strategy is if you can make top of the funnel or your new customer acquisition profitable, then you've created a money-making machine, right? Um, you can put a dollar in, you get $2 out. And then at the end, that $2 is only going to turn to 4 or 6 or $10 over the next couple of years as people repeat purchase. So that is kind of the goal of your marketing and to have um, that omni-channel approach where everything's kind of working together. Um, definitely some of the things that I'm working on now is better attribution between a lot of different channels and leveraging a lot of the new channels that you spoke about and probably have some things to share with you about TikTok. And I know we've spoken about video a little bit as well. So definitely something that's uh, an exciting opportunity. Cool. So I guess um, what's next for Oswaldo? I know you kind of exclaim that you don't have this big vision and you know you just kind of want to keep the business growing along, but slowly it's getting pretty big and the community is getting very big. 
and you know the licenses and the brands that you're working with are you know very interesting. There's new products, so I'd love to hear what you foresee as the next kind of uh, few years look like for Earthwater. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, look, I, I, I have said that before uh, in, in terms of the, the scale we're aiming for. We, and this probably comes back to my initial point about not claiming to be an entrepreneur in the, in the truest sense. We're, we're not looking to turn this business into, um, you know, a, 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 <laughs> a blue chip company. We're not looking to turn it into something that, that, has, that has hundreds and hundreds of team members and, you know, warehouses all over the world. And we just, we don't want to take over the world. I think we'll lose a little bit of what makes us special if we became that kind of business. As you scale, it becomes much harder to put those personal touches on, on, on things that you do. And, and just to give you a, an example of that, that took me a long time to get comfortable with. From our outset, when we started uh, serving our customers direct and selling through com, we hand wrote a note for every single order that went out. And I think we maintained that up till about six months ago, uh, probably 12 months ago. And even at that point, we were getting... Uh, I don't know, we, we would be getting thousands and thousands of orders every month. We'd be handwriting every one of these cards for our, for our customers. To make the decision to stop doing that was really, really difficult um, because it moves us away from our mission, in, in my opinion. But it was, it was critical. It just became fundamentally just not viable to handwrite that many cards. <laughs> Wrists couldn't hold up from our warehouse assistants who were doing this. Um, and, and it slowed down the pick and pack process. So we, we have to abandon that. And we still include quotes, uh, you know, positive affirmations and quotes with every order that we do. But now we it's standardized and it's printed on a postcard. So as you scale, you see these, these issues um, sort of become exacerbated. And if you want to be operating as a small label who's really in touch with your community, uh, I think that the more you scale, the harder it is to do that. So uh, that's not to say there, there isn't... Uh, growth plan there certainly is but it's 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 respectable conservative growth to make sure that we're never taking the eye off the ball of what our mission is so to explain what that growth looks like really uh it's, it's brand awareness and it's the product offering we need to be pouring uh more money into marketing to get our brand out there more to introduce it to more people and just pour people into the top of the funnel and we need to be broadening our product offering the way we're doing the latter is that we recently onboarded um, a lovely lady named Catherine who's come across from, from Kmart Australia. She was the accessories buyer there. Uh, the wealth of experience and, and networks and, and just professionalization she's brought to our business in a very short space of time is, is unbelievable. Um, it's really been a joy working with her. And what she's doing is, is helping us elevate all of our products um, from the 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 process of manufacture, to the hardware and the findings we use for all of our current lines, to all the new products we can be exploring. And there is a, a whole lot of it. I can't, <laughs> I can't give away the game, um, but over the coming sort of 12 months, there'll be a, a very, uh, a pretty broad expansion of, of what the product offering is on our site. We've already gone into scarves and enamel pins and, uh, and even designer bags, and all have been profitable from launch day. Which is, which is really exciting for us to see our community supporting us um, and indicates that we're on the right track uh, in providing them with products they're interested in. Um, but those are, those, those are the, two, the two pillars of our growth uh, is, is top of the funnel and product diversification. Cool. So just wanted to finish off with a few rapid fire questions. Feel free to answer these in a word or a sentence um, and then we can close off. What, what is one of your favorite marketing tools that you're using at the moment? Uh, well, our team uses later to to schedule our content program. Um, 
that's you know it's it's uh, that's that's a pretty effective tool. It allows anyone from the marketing team to sort of jump in on the mobile app and see what's coming up and make make quick edits and fire off content. So that's a pretty practical marketing tool that I enjoy. Love it. We use it too at Sylvie as well. Um, if you were to start a new business tomorrow, is there any new product idea or category that you're interested in exploring or see an opportunity? Uh, I, I, I get this feeling there's something around um, silk and silver integrated. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> um, look again, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fall back on my sword of not being an entrepreneur. I don't think that broadly, I don't have a hundred business ideas running through my head. I'm really, I, I'm, I'm focused on the mission. Um, this, this brand is my life. Uh, again, I bought into it, uh, in 2015 and I haven't looked back. Um, I really haven't been distracted by other opportunities. So, um, I'm, I'm just living and breathing in Earthwater and trying to make sure it, it continues to be the best it can be. Cool. And is there one thing that you see other kind of direct-to-consumer businesses uh, overlook in their kind of business operation or like early on that you, you think is kind of an area of opportunity? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would bring that back to that community engagement piece and, and doing it really well and doing it thoroughly. And it's, you know, it, it's admin heavy for a customer service team, but it's, you know, it's just so fundamental to engage with your audience when they're talking to you. I think too many, I think too many businesses still look at social and, and use it as a billboard to, to just be shouting messages outward um, and not be truly engaging. So that's, that's where I'd say it's invest in an additional team member or, an, or invest in additional tech that can improve the efficiency, but just make sure you're talking to your community as much as possible. Yeah. Love it. Honestly, it's, it's a really good piece of, uh, feedback that I think a lot of people kind of forget because it's so easy to think about the next marketing channel, the different creative, um, you know, the product, whatever, but forgetting about that community aspect and community will give longevity to your brand. Um, and there's just so much goodwill that comes from that. So yeah, uh, it's a great point. Awesome. Um, that was everything. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm always amazed the amount of, um, different ways that you engage with the community. I think on the wholesale piece, there's a lot to kind of unpack there for a lot of businesses. So yeah, thank you for sharing everything. Uh, loved having you on. Thanks very much, Max. I'll, uh, I'll happily come back anytime to unpack anything else we, we discuss. Uh, definitely going to take you up on that. Thanks for tuning into the Megaminds podcast. To stay up to date with the latest e-commerce trends, scaling hacks, and marketing techniques, join us on our Facebook community, Megaminds. If you're looking to scale your own e-commerce business, we at Megaphone would love to help. Get in touch for a free strategy session.